welcome to Queers & Co, the podcast on self-empowerment, body liberation and activism for queer folks and allies. I'm your host, Jem Kennedy. My pronouns are they, them, and I'm a transformational practitioner and coach living in the UK. Hey folks, welcome to episode four. I hope you were able to get some relaxing time during integration week. I know that it was really helpful for me to practice some of what I talked to my clients about around working sustainably and actually give myself some space to not be furiously editing and producing all the time. So with that in mind, I'm very excited and energised to be back for episode four. And this one is a short and sweet episode. They're an incredible guest and they also happen to be an incredible client of mine. And I'm just really happy that they agreed to record an episode with me. We had quite a few technical difficulties, unfortunately, during the recording, which meant that we tried two different platforms. And then by the time we'd had that all sorted, then time was up. So we have um, just over half an hour together and I hope that you'll find it as interesting as I did. And just to introduce my guest, they are a queer writer and psychotherapist from the northeast of England. They can be found writing therapy tips, poetry, anti-oppression rants, short stories and more on their website, iamkatielees.com, and that will be in the show notes. They're currently writing a good mental health guide for trans and non-binary people, which is going to be published hopefully this year. I'm keeping my fingers crossed by Jessica Kingsley Publishers, and I'll share all of the relevant links so you can go and follow their work after the episode today. I've already asked them about recording another episode together, so look out for that hopefully around the same time as the book launches. And so without further ado, allow me to introduce my wonderful guest, Katie Lees. Hi Katie, thanks so much for joining me. Hi Jam, it's really nice to be here. Thank oh, you I'm for so excited. Me. <laughs> no worries. So um, I always start or often start with asking people just to introduce themselves and their various intersections. Would you be happy to do that? Absolutely, I would. So my name is Katie Lees. I use they, them, their pronouns. I am a white, mid-fat, trans and non-binary queer person from uh, the northeast of England. And I am a writer and a psychotherapist. Great, thank you. So there's lots to unpack there. And I think the first thing that comes to mind is... Um, that you used mid-fat, which for mm-hmm. some people listening, if they're not kind of familiar with the terms of how people identify, I guess, yeah, if they're not used to um, how people identify within fatness, how would you describe um, the different levels? Sure. Um, so generally speaking, at least in the circles of fat activism that I tend to roll in, so there tends to be the idea that different levels, I guess, different types of fatness are subject to different kinds of oppression and different kinds of pressure from society. So generally speaking, there's the idea that there are um, small fat people who might find trouble finding clothes and probably have a difficult time getting medical care, but can otherwise expect to be able to do up their seatbelt in a car, be able to fit into chairs um, when they go out into the world. And then kind of going up from there, you've got mid-fat people like me who experience um, more difficulty finding clothes, fitting into the world, maybe more difficulty accessing appropriate medical care. And then you've got large fat people. And then you've got the deaf fatties who are generally people who are considered huge air quotes here, morbidly obese. And then up from there, you've got infinity fat people who face the most oppression from society. 
Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And as I said it, I realised levels sounds really problematic. But yeah, I wonder I should think about a better a better word to use for that. Um, I understood what you meant. It's, it's okay. quite fun as well to think of myself like that I've levelled up to a minute. It's like person. a computer game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, other parts of your identity that you mentioned are around being trans and non-binary and you're doing some really interesting work um, around trans and non-binary mental health. I wondered if you could just tell us a bit more about that. Sure so in my psychotherapy work I mostly work with trans and non-binary people and also other people in the LGBTQ plus community and as a writer I'm currently writing a book for Jessica Kingsley Publishers which is a trans and non-binary guide to good mental health. So as a trans therapist who, I mean, I've worked in mental health for basically my whole adult life. And also I've had wonky mental health, we'll say, for longer than that. Yeah, it felt, it felt really important to be doing that kind of work for my community. Yeah, and also I think it's important to mention that you're in the process of writing the book yeah I mean it's been a really interesting experience yeah I feel like I mean writing a book is pretty difficult with my therapy practice being pretty full been difficult to find the time but also I've really loved writing it I really loved I don't know making making that kind of space and I guess making something that I don't think exists much or all in the world right now just kind of making making space where I don't know that's about mental health from trans people for trans people and catered to them because I think a lot of mental health books that I found tend to be about trans and non-binary people for the assumed cisgender people who work with them often written by cis people and yeah it 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 feels like really good important work to be yeah to be hopefully giving trans people good care that helps them to feel better and that is relatively accessible yeah it feels good also feels kind of terrifying (laughs) but it feels good I think that's just my anxiety speaking yeah but I think I like this idea of being terror cited I don't know if you've heard of it before but like feeling terrified. absolutely terrified but excited at the same time that's it that's the one I feel yeah. terror cited <laughs> so thinking about writing the book what would you say what has the process been like for you have you learned more things about uh, your own sort of self-care and mental health as a trans and non-binary person hmm. um yeah I mean I definitely have going through the process because I've had to as I've been doing something that's so difficult I've had to looking after myself um which I haven't historically always been very good at so it's it's been it's been a good way to find different ways to to care for myself to explore different meanings of self-care um which I'm already pretty keen on anyway I think that the idea of self-care has become very um, commodified and kind of twisted around by capitalism so I'm already pretty keen on exploring different avenues of self-care that aren't kind of spending money on a bubble bath but yeah I think that writing this book has really made me focus on lots of different ways to look after myself 
sometimes including having a bubble bath. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and looking at how much of that I can offer to other people as well. Mm-hmm. It's been good to revisit ideas that I find very easy to apply to to other people as well and maybe less easy to apply to myself. Mm-hmm. Something about um, the act of writing something down and sending into the world as a global truth means that like, I definitely have to accept that it's going to be okay if I'm telling everybody else that it's going to be okay. It's been a nice reminder. Yeah, that's great. And do you think you'll read the book once once it's out? That's an excellent question. Um, usually I try to avoid uh, rereading things that I've done or watching um, like videos I've done or listening to podcasts I've done, mostly just kind of through embarrassment. But I think this... I might read. Yeah, hopefully hopefully I'll be able to provide some good advice to my future self. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I'm asking is because um I run a course called Making Waves and on that course one of the units is radical self-care mm-hmm. and I find every time I return to the unit I'm like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> those are the things that help me or those are the things I I um you know should be doing and not not should, but like I know that they help me feel mm-hmm. better." And um I'm just wondering, like, if I was to read a book that I'd written about self-care, how, yeah, it's something interesting in sort of taking your own advice. And that idea of um, quite often when we work with people, the things we're supporting them to do, it can be sometimes stuff that we're also working on ourselves. And maybe we're a couple of steps ahead. We've had a bit more Mm -hmm. practice, but um, there's still definitely things that we need to hear. I don't know if that resonates with you. Yeah, it absolutely resonates with me. Um... Yeah, and I think you're right. I think that even, to be honest, now as I kind of go through an edit, I'm like, oh, yeah, this this is definitely something that's helpful. I should probably do this. <laughs> I'm really wise. <laughs> <laughs> that's really great. And do you know when the book's expected to be out yet? Well, my my deadline to hand it in is the end of April. So I'm guessing that the book will be out at... Um, the end of next year um to the end of 2021 or the beginning of 2022 this is where the first part of the audio came to an end and we were then trying to find another way to make the conversation happen it's also a good opportunity though to take a few deep breaths maybe have a stretch you might want to look at the sky if you can see it from where you are and grab a drink of water And while you do that, I just wanted to let you know that I currently am operating a waiting list. So if you think that you might be interested in having one-to-one coaching sessions with me from March, then head to my website, gemkennedy.com, where you'll be able to leave your email address and be added to my waiting list. And I'll get in touch with you when I have space available again. And now back to the episode with Katie. So one of the things that I quite often like to ask people about is um, their experience of navigating burnout, because I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to sort of finding out the different ways that people navigate it, because I don't think it can be entirely eradicated when you do this kind of work or avoided. And I know that we've talked in the past about your experience of burnout, and it'd be great if you're happy just to share a bit about that and um, what things have helped you to to cope with that and maybe to navigate it moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a really, really long history of burnout. Um, basically, because of the environment that I was raised in, and also because I'm a pretty anxious person, I spent 
the first 20 years of my life, basically just working and working and working and eventually hit a point where I couldn't do that anymore in my early to mid 20s and just completely burned out. It was a really bad time. It was like I wasn't just burned out on work, I was burned out on people, I was burned out on, I had really bad problems with executive dysfunction. So um, I, I basically would go to work, talk as little as possible, not feel very much, come home, lie on my bed, and then kind of stare at the wall until it was time to go to work again. It's really, really horrible times, which I basically managed to get through with a combination of medication and therapy. So it's something that I'm really, really mindful about now in my 30s, because I hope to never be in that place again. So I'm still pretty, I still work pretty hard, but I'm much more mindful with things like um, taking breaks, making sure that I'm really doing that kind of base self-care stuff which I think um, is surprisingly easy to ignore if you come from a culture of working yourself into the ground, basically. So making sure that I'm well-fed, well-rested, I'm in a safe place, um, I feel supported, um, dealing with any kind of chronic pain issues, things like that have been really, really important to me. And I think... Something that's really, really helped me to maintain not being too burnt out is working, I guess, working to have an answer to any critical voices that I have. Um, so I have have a pretty strong, loud critical voice, you know, the kind of voice where, um, I don't know, you accidentally spill your coffee in the morning and your head just kind of yells at you for the rest of the day <laughs> that you're an awful person. and was surprised that that was taking up like a lot of energy and a lot of my time so having having a positive answer to that being able to spend less time humoring that negative voice has been an absolute lifesaver for me over the last year or so yeah and for me I didn't even realize that that critical voice was a critical voice or was a separate part of me I thought that was just just the way that it was supposed to be and yeah. that everyone had that. and I'm sure to some extent you know people do have um some degree of critical inner voice but yeah I it wasn't until I really started doing work on it that I realized that that wasn't something that everyone experienced all the time and that it didn't have to be like that and parts work I think has been really great for that like separating out the different parts of myself and looking at what they're there for and maybe reassigning them to a different job when you notice that it doesn't have to be that way, how freeing that can be, but also challenging. There's still then a lot of work to actually start to to sort of diminish it or get rid of it in some way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely been my experience as well. In, um, in person-centered therapy, the kind that I do, uh, there's this idea of having configurations of self so that um, your core self, I guess, is made up of lots of different um, I guess lots of different kinds of personalities and and I definitely had the experience where I, I didn't see that as a different configuration of me I thought it was just me and that 
I kind of deserved it. <laughs> so being able to separate that out into something I don't have to take into the core of me has been super helpful. And I wonder if people listening to this may be finding this really relatable too. I wonder if there are any uh, kind of techniques or things that you would say would be really helpful with just noticing that and, and maybe quietening it a little. I think something that's been really helpful for me over the last couple of years has been answering that critical voice by taking what I know is global and making it personal. So by that I mean, um, so I personally hold the belief that everybody deserves respect and that's something that I know to be true. So if I think that everybody deserves respect and I'm part of everyone, that means that I deserve respect. Mm -hmm. So if there's a critical voice in my head that's saying, I don't deserve respect because I'm a bad person, then I can say, well, I know that everybody deserves respect. So I deserve respect. That's been particularly helpful for me. Yeah, I can imagine. And thinking back to burnout, I wonder if there's, was there any particular um, sort of thing that you tried or thing that you would tell yourself that you noticed was really helpful in bringing you out of that really intense burnt out phase? Hmm, that's a good question. I think something that contributed to me having like the big burnout was that I was trying to do a lot of very important but very difficult things at once. And I think that when you're in that place and you've been in it for a while, it starts to feel like it's going to be forever, especially when you come from a culture where it's expected that that is forever, that when you finish with those really important things, you go on to the next one straight away. You, keep, you have to keep climbing the ladder. And I think something that helped was promising myself that I wouldn't keep climbing the ladder, that when... I was done with these important things, I would be done, even if that was just for a little while. Um, but knowing that knowing that I wouldn't have to be trapped in the cycle that I was in of just having to do the next big thing was something that I think gave me a future back and stopped me from just being stuck in a really difficult present. And I think mostly... I've kept that promise to myself. I am writing a book, which is difficult, but I also know that I was, big air quotes, supposed to do a PhD after I finished um, my psychotherapy studies. Even though I didn't want to, it was the path that was expected of me. And so far, I've managed to resist. <laughs> I could promise myself that there wasn't going to be another rung on the ladder that I was going to finish these very important things. I was going to do the best that I could do, even if that was just passing, like scraping a pass when it was fully expected that I was going to get full honors or whatever. I just promised myself that if I could scrape a pass at this, I was absolutely going to cut myself a break. Um, and I was going to have a rest basically and let myself recover and so far, I've I've largely stuck to that. And I've largely made sure that I'm not just chasing another rung on the ladder. Um, and that I'm not doing things that are too difficult. So writing the book is still really difficult. Um, but I'm letting myself take breaks. I'm letting myself ask for what I need from my publishers. And 
I'm not doing the difficult things that I don't want to do, like doing a PhD. Yeah. And there's something really radical, I think, about stepping outside of that framework or that kind of career progression, for want of a better phrase. We're being told that we should be pushing and, you know, going for the next thing. But actually, yeah, it makes me think of this question, like, when will whatever we're pushing for be enough? Do we get somewhere and think, oh, okay, well, I've I've done all those things. Now I can rest. And that is what leads, well, amongst other things, to people, I think, being incredibly burnt out. And you start out doing something you think you want to do if you're lucky enough to to find that thing and to also um, have the privilege, I guess, to be able to pursue something that is is of interest rather than a necessity. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, there's just this kind of pushing, like, driving force. I notice it in my work. Yeah, w- where's the space for enjoying what you're doing and actually um, – experiencing it rather than just rushing through and being like oh yeah like next (laughs) absolutely yeah and I think um one of one of the big things that my critical inner voice likes to tell me is that I could be doing so much more and it's like yeah I probably could but I'm not gonna Mm. like I'm I'm good here Mm. yeah so thinking about um I mean we've talked about burnout and self-care and I guess one of the other areas that's really interesting about your writing is that you talk about um, fatness and what it's like to exist in a fat body. And it'll be really interesting to hear like your how your relationship with your body may have changed over time. Because with that intersection of being non-binary and trans as well, um, there's sort of a lot wrapped up there that I think is often not really um, talked about or not covered in mm-hmm. um, you know the body positive world as much as it should be. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that um I think I think that it's maybe surprisingly difficult or surprising surprisingly difficult to me to find trans and or non-binary bodies in the body positive movement or I guess in the um in the fat activism movement. I don't know if I'm particularly fond of the body positive label anymore. I think mostly Same, because yeah. It tends to be kind of white, conventionally attractive cis people who are kind of hunching over a bit to make a little tummy roll. Um, <laughs> whereas, um, yeah, I I can't. <laughs> yeah, I can't hide my tummy roll. Um, she's out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I think that um, I I think that I think that you're right in the. Um, Things like fatness and um, being trans are pretty, it can be pretty wrapped up, I guess, um, in terms of how I see my body and in terms of how I experience living in my body. I think with that as well, um, being chronically ill is there as well. Yeah, I think... I don't know if this is just me ranting now. I think that also in the body positive movement, there's this idea that it's okay to look however you look so long as you're healthy. Mm. And it's like, okay, but what about me, a fat person who is not healthy and those things are unrelated? (laughs) Yeah. What about, yeah. What about trans people whose bodies um, may be healthy but are also not like good for them because they mm-hmm. because they contribute towards feelings of dysphoria. I think that there's there's a lot of anti-fatness that's tied into how 
trans people are treated, I think, especially in the UK and especially in medical fields. I think that kind of medical fat phobia really comes out when medical professionals are trying to encourage their service users to think about what a woman or a man looks like. And I think that a lot of the time that isn't supposed to include fat people, mm-hmm. um, which makes me really angry. Um, and also, I guess, ties in with some of my own body image issues because what is a non-binary person supposed to look like, according to these people? Um, yeah. Which is, I know the answer, which is that non-binary people look like whoever they are, um, but it is still something that I carry with me. Um, perhaps especially as a fat person. Yeah, I relate to that so much because um, I haven't, I don't think I've talked about it openly on the podcast before, but um, I'm also non-binary and use they, them pronouns. Um, And I guess that's a development since the first series. But um, yeah, I think for a long time, there was a lot of doubt there around sort of coming out as non-binary because are you trans enough or like mm. oh but I'm I'm non-binary but I, I'm femme presenting I guess to most mm-hmm. people and is that okay um there's so much wrapped up in in that and it also makes me think of um Jake someone that we had in the I think it was in the first scene um and he was talking about when he looked into going for lower surgery how um there was a BMI limit and I think it was 35 uh, and anything below or sorry anything above that like lower surgery wasn't accessible mm-hmm. and yeah it's so it's infuriating really isn't it that that just by just by existing in a larger body there are so many things that are now um you're not able to maybe um align how your body looks with how you feel mm-hmm. as a fat yeah. person whereas that would be available to you as a thin person yeah absolutely and i i know somebody right now who is trying to go through the process of getting um, HRT through their GIC. Mm. And they're currently saying that they can't have it until they lose weight, um, which is, <sighs> I have many feelings about this. Um, but basically the GIC have said that it's because um, they don't have a lot of research into what happens on large bodies when they have HRT. And I'm like, so do the research. Like, yeah, absolutely. If, you, if you cared you would know by now yeah it really grinds my beans that's such a good phrase yeah it's <laughs> it's really true <laughs> because also fatness can can really change like if we think about um if I think about a stereotypical non-binary person, like what maybe in my mind's eye I might have imagined a non-binary person would would look like, um, and I know this is problematic in itself, but I guess I would imagine like an androgynous, thin person, and that isn't accessible to a fat person because, yeah. you know, I I have boobs, for example, and unless I was to have top surgery, like they are noticeable, and um, mm-hmm. even in a binder they would be noticeable, and that isn't necessarily something that I want to do, but it definitely means that then I don't, I won't be perceived as a non-binary person, whatever they, you know, supposedly look like. But yeah, it's just that mismatch between how society judges you and sort of categorizes you and actually how you would identify is such a big chasm. And I think it's made even bigger by fatness. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think the androgyny or the, um, the ideal of androgyny 
is so often inaccessible to to fat people, um, not just because of how society sees non-binaryness or because of how society sees androgyny, but also because there just aren't the the clothes available, there aren't mm. the resources available. Trying to get like a binder that's large enough, trying to get like mask presenting trousers to fit like big hips, things like that. It's really difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So actually we're left with like what is available to mm-hmm. to dress your body in rather than the things you may choose to wear. And that has improved, I guess, since like... Um, I think it was um, Dr. Charlotte Cooper who was saying the other day on Twitter that is it Evans that might be going into administration and how so many fat people have a lot of trauma around having to shop there because it was literally the only shop available mm-hmm. during like the 80s and 90s and I yeah. guess to the 2000s to some extent. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are more choices now, but yeah, as you say, there's there's still really limited choice in terms of how um, what people might actually choose to wear if they had all of the options available. Yeah, and I I hasn't heard about that, and now I'm sad because Evans makes like the only jeans that fit me. As a small, as a short fat person, they make like really good like um, short leg jeans in my size. So I guess I'd better go right now and buy all of the pairs I can find. <laughs> yeah, and it, it may it may not be going into administration, but I'm pretty sure that's what I read. Um, okay. But yeah, don't quote me on it. <laughs> I was just thinking, you mentioned that you uh, live in the north, the north of England, for anyone that isn't in the UK. And I wondered what that is like um, in terms of accessing queer community, because a lot of queer community tends to be kind of centralised around big cities like Brighton or London or Manchester and um, I wonder how you or what your experience has been accessing queer community in your local area yeah um the short answer is very difficult um Mm -hmm. I think also as a as a as a relatively poor person living in the north traveling to places that are just kind of like just too far is pretty difficult and disheartening. So yeah, when when I was growing up, I, I grew up in Hull and there wasn't much there aside from there's like a couple of gay bars. And then moved to uh Nottingham as a teenager, which has like so Nottingham in the Midlands, it's got a pretty it's got a pretty good queer vibe. So now I live in like a little city or a big town, I guess further up north near County Durham and there's one pretty cool LGBTQ plus uh little community that seems to be doing good work but mostly also seems to be centered around young people so yeah it's been it's been difficult I keep thinking about maybe setting up some kind of community but I also have no idea how to do that aside from to just kind of start it Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've noticed that in my local area because we have, um, for example, there are a, a gay couple that own a cafe nearby, which I was very excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, but even though I'm in between Cambridge and London, there's still very, very little queer community accessible unless you go into a big city. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that can be really challenging. And I guess in lockdown, it's kind of in a way it doesn't really matter because we can't access community anyway. Sure. Um, but yeah, there's something there's something that feels really important about having those local connections and um that's lacking I think for so many people yeah 
Yeah, I think so too. I'm conscious of uh, not keeping you for too long. And the podcast episode is probably a little bit shorter because you've had so many tech issues um, <laughs> being kicked off of Zoom and then, um, yeah, and then other another platform not working either. But I just wanted to ask you what it is that you might like to share with people who are listening that you're really enjoying at the moment? Um, I think something that I'm really enjoying at the moment, which has come as a really big surprise to me, is the album Folklore by Taylor Swift. Um, cool. Yeah, I am firmly, I very much like to listen to punk music and kind of indie music. So I was really caught off guard that I really, really like this album by Taylor Swift. But it's it's really good. I've been really enjoying listening to it. It makes me feel like I'm living in a cabin in the woods and writing love letters to my lost love or some nonsense it's good that's so cool what do you like <laughs> about it like I, I haven't heard it I'm gonna listen now okay I like the um okay um I don't know much about Taylor Swift I assume that she's a straight person but also it just has this real quality of like sapphic yearning running through it I don't know how else to explain it awesome that sounds so cool. I'm going to listen. <laughs> cool. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you. And so um, where can people come and follow your work? Obviously, they can hold out for the book uh, coming mm-hmm. out towards the end of next year, hopefully, or 2020, 2021 by the time this comes out. But um, where else could people come in and find out about you? Um, so you can find out about me and hopefully get some updates about the book at IamKatieLees.com. So that's I A M. K-A-T-Y-L-E-E-S.com. Great. And also to mention, you have a Patreon. So we'll put that in the um, in the show notes as well, in case anyone would like to sign up and um, support you whilst you're writing your book. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Katie. And thanks for bearing with me with all the tech issues. <laughs> Don't worry. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I told you it was short and sweet. And if you'd like to follow Katie's work, which I recommend, obviously, that you do, you should head to their website, I am Katie Lees, and that's K-A-T-Y-L-E-E-S dot com. And you can also find them on Patreon. So if you're interested in becoming a patron and supporting their work, then you can head to patreon.com slash I am Katie Lees. Next week, I'll be back with another episode. And as always, if you have any thoughts that you'd like to share, you can catch me on Instagram at the Gem Kennedy. Or you can head to Facebook and join the Quiz & Co Facebook group where you can share any of your thoughts or ideas in there. Have a good week, everyone, and take care. Bye. Bye.